Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 217 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being with us today, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Here at MTB Tribe, we are super excited to introduce you all to our new brand called Alta. Alta is a range of mountain bike clothes and accessories dedicated to make mountain biking easier. Our gear is designed to be practical, stylish and very, very much environmentally friendly. Our best-selling changing robe will keep you warm and dry while you're getting changed in and out of your riding gear. And our other pieces work just as well on the streets as they do on the trails. Now, we are a small brand at the minute, but we are expanding every month we have got loads of new products coming up we're going to have some swag for you soon you know cabs hoodies all that kind of stuff but that's not what the brand is about it is about getting you on the trails more comfortable warm dry getting you changed keeping the car clean keeping the van clean when when you get all your gear in there all that kind of stuff loads more to come in the future so stay tuned for more exciting info about that you can check us out at ridealta.com or on instagram at ride.alta and get a wee bit more insight into what we are doing so please show your support and go and give us a like now in this episode we're chatting to darren tap now darren has all the experience you would want on two wheels he started in BMX, he went into motorbike, he then went into mountain bike, he then went into road, he then went into gravel, bike to mountain bike. The man is a legend. The man has spent years across many different disciplines. He raced in the early, early bike scene when there really wasn't a scene. Spent a small fortune on bikes, got sponsored by Yeti, was in the cover of many magazines, raced against the likes of Steve Pete and Rob Warner and... You know, the man's just a legend, right? You know, I love speaking to guys like this on the podcast because they've been there, they've done it. They've seen how it's changed over the years. So much info, so many stories. Really great to get Darren on the podcast. And Darren is racing now. He's just finished the Vitus first tracks enduro there. You know, the man's a legend. He's on the bike, he's racing, and he's fast, dudes. He's fast, right? He's come from that background. He's a fast rider. So listen, I'll stop talking, I'll get Darn on, let, let Daz tell you more about his story. All you have to do is sit back, put your feet up, get your favourite drink and enjoy the show. So without further ado, let's get Daz on the MTV Tribe podcast. Hi Daz, welcome to the MTV Tribe podcast. How's things with you this evening, sir? Hello there, Gareth. Oh, it's all good. We've had the week off. Weather hasn't been so great this week, but uh, I'm in good health, so it all's good really, yeah. Happy days, bro. Um, you've been out in the bike a couple of times? Been out a couple of times. Actually, one of the days I was out uh, on the gravel bike in the morning and out on the mountain bike in the afternoon. So that's a plus, being out twice on two different bikes in one day. That's that's all good, that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen your posts about that, actually. Like, were they long rides? That's a, that's a brave bit of riding in one day. Uh, no, I, I don't think. Well, it depends. Some what some people call a long ride, and what other people do as well is. Uh, I think the gravel ride I did was about thirty miles, which isn't what I would call long. Uh, but out on the mountain bike was only. I don't know what it is in miles. You don't. You just go by fun and time, don't you, on the mountain bike? 
<laughs> yeah, we don't talk about miles in a mountain bike because most roadies think, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> yes, yes. If, it, if it's generally a small amount of miles on the mountain bike, you know it's going to have been a lot more fun anyway. So <laughs> yeah, totally. it's more about smiles, less about the miles on the mountain bike. That's very, very true. Well, listen, it's great to get you on the show, bro. I, I really am looking forward to our chat because... I know you've been in the industry for a long time and you've come through it all, really. You've been on all forms of two-wheeled transport. So <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be great to get that, the insight to what the scene was like and all there. Um, but now, Daz, you're, you're originally from England. Now, I'm going at this blind, so I'm going to ask you a lot of weird, wrong kind of questions. So, But you're originally from England, is that correct? I'm originally from England, yeah, originally from Devon. Uh, I moved over to Northern Ireland. 10 years ago for work okay. and absolutely love it here i certainly won't be moving anywhere back to devon or england again <laughs> you, you're not a surfer then coming from devon uh no i can't even swim so uh <laughs> probably not a good thing for me to be surfing what makes the fact that i can't swim even worse is my my mum's a qualified swimming teacher <laughs> oh you are joking me <laughs> i was i'm at that age where when i was in school uh they took everyone to swimming uh, all the good swimmers went on to do the competitions for the school. All the ones that couldn't swim got left in school and, and they never really taught us how to swim. So, <laughs> oh my word. So do you grow up feeling you're a disappointment to your mom? <laughs> uh, I've, never, I've never really asked her that question about swimming, but yeah, probably. <laughs> she, she had a go at, at, at sort of, well, she gave me a few lessons about 20 years ago now. And I was fine with the float, but as soon as you take the float away, that's it, <laughs> I sink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow, it's crazy, that. Crazy. Um, now, you got into bikes. Did you get into bikes quite early in age? Take us through your kind of early days there and how you get interested in, in bikes. Uh, very, very early in age. I, I got into BMX, first of all, when, when it sort of hit the big time. When would that have been? 80s 80s, I, 80s certainly 80s, 80s yeah something like that i think i think about 83 i had a bmx okay and um did the whole thing with the bmx but i didn't really get into the racing much with bmx it was all about the freestyle for me then right all of the flatland and street riding and stuff like that yeah like what was the bmx scene like there like it blew up here oh it, it, it was massive you know every kid in the street had a bmx even if they were absolutely rubbish on it they still had one and, you know, you, we'd all meet at the end of the street every night and there'd be probably, I'd say between 10 and 20 of us just in our street that would all meet up and we'd all be building ramps out of uh, bricks and pieces of wood and stuff. But <laughs> all absolutely lethal what we were what we were making out of ramps and things. But uh, we just it was the best time ever really was yeah. good time to be around BMX. Definitely. Yeah, I remember back in the day building old ramps you know with the bricks and then <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden you got your mate to lie right below the ramp so you oh, could yes, jump over yes. him yeah and yeah, half the times six or seven of them and the guy you didn't like in the street always <laughs> used to lie on the end and get landed on yeah. <laughs> and then half the times the ramps would collapse on the yeah. boy that was on the inside and they were crazy days those man. yeah they were crazy but that was that was the days when I, you learned how to wheelie as well we used mm -hmm. to do the whole uh we had a, a bus stop just up from where we live so everyone's goal was to wheelie the length of the bus stop but oh. you know going years and years into it people were starting to wheelie at the beginning of where the bus stop was and you would just go all the way up the street until you sort of gave up and just put the front wheel down 
<laughs> wow. Just wow. used to get so good at doing stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's just good fun. Good yeah. Fun. Yeah. Like, I remember there was a guy who was actually at school with us, and his dad owned a bit of land. I'm not sure. I don't think they were farmers, around, but he owned a bit of land at the side of the house, a good bit of land, and it was perfectly yeah. shaped for a BMX course. And he made a BMX track there and it was good. You know, it had the triples yeah. on it and the big tabletops and the big bank berm at the back and all. It was real awesome. top notch back then. And we used to race and stuff, you know, yeah. um, it was class and the scene there was brilliant and kids coming at night and it was really, really good, but it really died off quickly with us. Was it the same with you? It, it did seem to, but I don't know whether that was, whether it actually died off or whether I just sort of grew out of it. And I was at that sort of age where, I was 16 and wanted a moped, so then I got a moped, and then after that you get a motorbike. So I don't know whether it really died off or whether I just moved on from it then, I think. Yeah, yeah. It could have been that, but yeah, maybe it did die out a little bit as well, I think. All right, it's weird, because I always try and think, because skateboarding was really big around that same time, wasn't it? Or was yes, it slightly yeah. after that? No, I think it was all the same time, but... Everyone that I knew, were, or most of them, were, were into BMX. There was only a couple of guys that were into skateboards. Mm-hmm. We just probably thought they were weird anyway, because, you know, <laughs> two wheels is the way to go. Everyone knows that. Four wheels, what's that all about? Like? <laughs> <laughs> so what what happened then? You, uh, you're you obviously at school and all at that stage. So yeah. what, what, ended, what landed next? Was it the mountain bike side of things? Uh, no, it was actually motorbike side of things. Right, wow. Um, I got like a, a moped. And then when you get to, um, just trying to think, because it's such a long time ago now, I think it's a moped when you're 16. And then when you're 17, you used to be able to get a 125. So then I got mm-hmm. a 125 and all the guys that I was riding with at the time that had BMXs, we were all on our mopeds and 125s, ripping up the streets on motorbikes and that. Mm-hmm. So we all sort of moved into that. And then what happened was I got so many points on my license. I couldn't insure no. a motorbike because I was just an absolute idiot on a motorbike. I was one of these guys that everyone just looked at going, what are you doing? And wheeling up and down the main street in towns and stuff and using <laughs> curbs as berms and things like that. It was, it was pretty mad. And how I'm still alive today <laughs> is unbelievable, really. But yeah, I had so many points on my license. I actually couldn't afford to insure my motorbike the following year. So I thought uh, it was just when mountain biking was kicking off, like that would have been very late 80s, early 90s. So mm-hmm. I, I thought I'll get a mountain bike. That'll be a good way because I can get to work and back on that and I can have a bit of fun on it. And I remember at the time, all my friends were like saying to me, you're going to spend, well, I, think I'd, I think my first mountain bike was a, it was a Marin Eldridge. And I think it was about 600 quid. Wow. Then that was a really serious amount of money. Yeah, because back then, what, most mountain, you could have bought mountain bikes for, what, 100 quid easy, like? Probably about that, yeah, yeah. And I think the dearest ones with Shimano XT on were probably near on eight or 900 quid. That would have been the best sort of thing you could get because there was no suspension forks or anything then. They're all rigid. Mm. Yeah, so I think I spent like 600 quid on this bike. And everyone just thought I was mental. But the whole sort of scene in the early 90s, that just blew up big time, really did. And Mm -hmm. um, because of obviously my only form of transport then was my motorbike. And then more and more people started buying mountain bikes and they were 
we were just going out and riding everywhere and it was everywhere I, I don't know what sort of mileage we covered back in the days on our mountain bikes but it would have been you know we would have probably done 100 miles in a day on them yeah not necessarily yeah. off-road but just all over the place yeah and then um a couple of guys said oh let's do a bit of cross-country racing shall we and I thought, I'll give it a go, a bit of racing. It seems like something to do. Well, we didn't really do any training to do a cross-country race. We just went and did one. And mm-hmm. I think my first race at a sports category, because I thought the fun category just sounded a bit lame, so I never <laughs> went into the sports. And I think I had like a top five or something in the sports category. And I started thinking, hang on, I might be not too bad at this. <laughs> Yeah. And that's where that sort of the whole mountain bike thing for me just took off. And yeah, the early 90s, I'd say that was. What meant, what made you spend 600 quid? Like, like that was a big investment. Did you think it was something that you were going to get into? Or had you seen it in magazines or anything and you wanted to get more involved? Like, what made you invest that amount of money just initially there? I, I think at the time... Even, uh, I don't know if you remember back in the day, but even BMXs, the, the last sort of latter parts that I was in BMX in, they were starting to put trailers on BMXs and call them ATVs, all-terrain bikes. Wow, so I didn't even know that. Sort of remember that being a thing and buying a magazine and seeing this this BMX with gears on it and thinking, wow, what is this amazing looking thing? And then, yeah, so a few year, years later when I went to get a mountain bike, I was probably already full on for it anyway and i think that's why i wasn't too worried about spending a decent bit of money on it because i knew that i would would ride it it wouldn't get just left in a shed but mm. i needed it to get to work and back so I, I, where i was i worked four mile away from where i lived so it was an eight mile round trip every single day as it is so mm. wanted to and i've always been a little bit of a poser to be honest so having something like that it just made it a bit more of something to talk about even i think yeah why why that bike what made you choose that one uh that was it was it was matte gray with this like teflon coating on it to stop it getting scratched or whatever and had like fluorescent orange forks it just those those um marins just looked amazing back then it just seemed to be i don't know what draws you to any brand to be honest it's so so hard to say what makes you go to a certain brand but yeah i just saw that in the shop and just loved it i remember there being some conas in there as well and the conas looking really good but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. It was such a long time ago. I, I don't really know what drew me to it. I think it was probably the fluorescent orange forks with the with the matte sort of grey frame. It just looked really quite trick. Yeah, cool, cool. And like your BMX buddies, did they come along with you? Did they pick up mountain bikes? No, they all sort of just uh, seemed to grow up, get cars, get married, have kids, and disappeared. I'd never really saw any of the Why guys. Why would you from want to do BMX. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They never sort of transferred from BMX to mountain bike. No, 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 no one at all. So, yeah, that's pretty strange, actually. And I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just so, met a whole new load of people that were into mountain biking at, at the time I was, really. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, like, it's funny the way you say there you didn't really train to do these races. That's kind of the way it was back then, wasn't it? You just kind of went yeah, and done these yeah. things. You didn't even think about training. Yeah, you just, yeah, you just turned up at a race a couple of, like we would i sort of met most of my friends through the mountain bike scene actually at the local bike shops that's how where you met people you know you turn up at the local bike shop just to hang out really not yeah. go there to to spend money i think you just go there to hang out and 
just dream over some of the get the kit and stuff they had there and then you just meet people through through the shop that way really yeah yeah i you knew it you had like your own little uh mtb tribe anyway so (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's worked back then but that's how it worked for me anyway i no totally i totally agree like stores back then seemed to be more kind of community hubs because obviously you didn't have the whole social media thing yeah and yeah. all that oh, this is well before the internet was even invented i think wasn't it <laughs> yeah so like and it's funny because i can remember going into and i'm sure there was actually a guy lived around the corner from me um about 15 minute walk from me and he had a bmx shop yeah. in his garage like that's how it was back then a guy had a garage he didn't park his car in it he just opened a bmx store in it (laughs) (laughs) brilliant that's so brilliant isn't it you know when he had gt and all in there and i just fell in love with that gt brand because yes yes well um, you'll love the next part of my adventures with it then because yeah gt was a a big part in my early life with my happy days well here tell me back then as far as magazines go because we you know, it wasn't the times of the internet. We didn't have social media accounts. We didn't yeah. have all these guys on Instagram and stuff. Like, what mags were you into? Were you into stuff like that? Did you read the magazines oh, back then? Yeah, that, well, that was the only way you could really find out about anything was uh, MBUK was the, was the main one that I remember sort of absolutely loving that magazine with the cartoons and mint sauce and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, religiously, you'd get those every month when they came out and you'd be drooling over the latest bikes and latest kit and latest this and latest that and uh that that whole thing with the magazines you know there's there's something about getting a magazine and opening it for the first time and seeing all the amazing adverts in there and how glossy and how great everything looks that's just something that is totally gone now with the internet yeah yeah totally it has changed do you still buy mags do you <laughs> strangely enough no i don't <laughs> you know, i'm saying that but no i don't but uh I don't even know, like, you don't really go shopping anymore, do you? You don't really go into shops. So it's it's very, it's like you said, it's just such a different uh, world that we live in now. Yeah, you used to go into the the shops and there'd be, like, just so many different mountain bike magazines. And, you know, you'd you'd be really spoiled for choice. And always the American ones. I can't think of what it's called now, is it? Uh, Mountain Bike Action. That was the one. The American one. I remember that, yeah. All cool stuff in it. And oh, yeah. yeah, everything you aspired to buy was in the American magazines. And yeah, that was that's what you sort of looked up to and you know, that's that's where you sort of got your ideas of what you were gonna buy and spend all your money on, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Did you follow any of the guys in the mags, the pros at that time? Did you look up to any of those lads and girls? Um it would it would have been so early in the times that the, apart from Hans Ray, I don't really remember too many people being in the magazines it was sort of like not really sort of well-known people because this was so early in the mountain bike years mm-hmm. that the, the racing and that was only just sort of starting when i'd started so i the first couple of races i did was always it was always sort of cross country and then as time went on you used to have the weekends away and the race went from um the saturday would be the sort of fun day they might run a bit of a downhill on the saturday and then in the evening you would do like a trials event observe trials you know we keep your feet up over sections and stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that would be like the the saturday and then the sunday would be the main event which was the cross country 
And that's where it all, the whole mountain bike thing sort of changed then, I think, because the, the downhill inside of it, which was the fun thing on the Saturday, turned into more of an event than the cross country. But mm-hmm. um, as this made the sport bigger, it sort of messed it up, I think, for a lot of people, because you used to turn up at these events with one bike and you do the downhill on the Saturday on your cross country bike and you do the trials in the evening on your cross country bike and then maybe a dual slalom you do that on the cross country bike and then all of a sudden they started specializing the bikes and and then it really split everything up you had to make your choice then are you going to do cross country or are you going to do downhill you either mm. had two bikes and done both or you just sort of took one a bit more serious and then just dropped the other one really yeah so I think what, back then it, yeah ch- definitely changed it back then i think for me anyway yeah like what do you think changed first do you think they changed the bikes to adapt to the steeper downhill trails you were running or were the bikes just naturally progressing and getting more that way i'd say that the bikes just naturally progressed anyway i, I remember um the local bike shop having like a, a gt zascar in it and i just was like that's that's what i need that's my next bike i, I bought the gt zascar and then within a couple of months i remember thinking right I need some of these what are the rock shocks rs1s that was that, that was like 1990 or 1991 mm-hmm. of like two and a half inches of travel on my front forks and that thing <laughs> that thing back then was amazing you just ride yeah. into curbs full speed and th- those those forks they might wobble a bit but they definitely absorb <laughs> the shock as well and i remember at the time that just being like a load, load of the friends and people that i rode with were like oh my god i can't believe you bought that and you've got suspension forks on it and from then on, I always seem to have that. I've always spent ridiculous amounts of money on bikes, just having the latest of everything. And yeah, it sort of, it definitely, like you was go back to what you were saying, it definitely split up the sport because you had to make the choice of whether you wanted to do cross country or you whether, whether you wanted to do downhill really. But at the time, yeah, the bikes weren't, they were evolving for both, but not such a quick rate, I would say really. Mm-hmm yeah yeah as they do now you mean that kind of yeah, way yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah so back then did you prefer to go xc or downhill what what grabbed you the most the the downhill grabbed me the most because it was it was new it's fresh it was fun uh the downhill back then isn't what it is now either like now it's a lot more technical you know people love a real technical spicy downhill now back then it just I suppose it's just the skill set that people have uh, evolved with as well over the years. Back then, it was just, you know, you could do half the track could be down the side of a field as long as it was downhill. <laughs> you had great yeah. fun, basically. Yeah, and nothing would be too technical. So I, I think the downhill was the way that most people went, actually. Cross country became almost the roady side of it where people were like, nah, you got to do too much training for that. So mm. the downhill was the way it went. But the bikes even though they were starting to get full suspension bikes and stuff back then, they they still weren't capable, not like they are now. Yeah. You know, the, the bikes would break. Everyone would be breaking stuff every weekend. They just were so flimsy and feeble bikes compared to what you've got today. Yeah. And I, I remember getting, uh, I had the Zaskar for a while, like I said, with these uh, RockShock RS1 forks on it. And then I thought, oh, I want to get the titanium GT Shazang. So 
spent a lot of money. I don't even know. I can't even remember how much that was back in the day. It was ridiculous, I think. Probably about three and a half grand back in the early 90s. Uh, I had that for about six months. And then all of a sudden, GT brought out their RTS-1, which is their full suspension down. Well, not it wasn't a downhill mountain bike. It was just a full suspension mountain bike. Yeah. As soon as I saw that, that was it. The uh, titanium was gone and the uh, GT RTS-1 was ordered. And I just remember getting that and thinking, wow, this is like a rocket ship compared to anything else I'd ridden. An absolutely amazing bike. Yeah. Uh, uh, I got the, uh, I don't know if you remember, Tioga disc drives. I had a Tioga disc drive on the back as well. Wow. The disc wheels. I Again, I think back in the day, about 650 quid for the back wheel. Yeah, that's nuts, man. That's crazy, isn't it? I, I think my the GT, uh, the RTS one that I had, I think it was in the region of about four to five grand back in the early 90s. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of dough. Like, you could buy a lot of you know bikes car whatever you could buy a lot of yeah, stuff yeah. for that you money could, back then buy, uh, yeah you could have bought a, mo- a motorbike for that like uh easy a cc motorbike probably for that sort of price back then yeah it was it was crazy money and those two the disc drives they sounded amazing but I'm, I'm not particularly heavy on equipment or anything but i would tear through one of those in a couple of months yeah wow wow <laughs> you'd, you'd get a new one under warranty you know you just kept getting new ones under warranty all the time and just breaking them and getting another new one like my god he's, he's spending all this money on wheels but i only have actually bought the one <laughs> <laughs> so it, that one wheel that uh only lasted a couple of months actually ended up lasting probably about three or four years i think in the end <laughs> yeah wow man wow and like what was the scene like then like i'm sure you've seen it growing every year you know, had you still to see a mates involved in it and all? Yeah, they, they some of them a lot. I sort of got to ride with uh, guys like Steve, Pete, Rob Warner, and all, all those sort of guys, and wow. uh, okay. Jason McCroy as well. The, the one, one of the late greatest ever, Jason McCroy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I got to ride with all those guys, and we were all in the same category. And actually, at some point or another in my early years, I beat all every single one of them at some point at once. <laughs> It's great to think that I, I'm I'm sure of the one of the very early numbers that I did. I beat uh, Steve Pete, but he was riding at a fully rigid Kona. Right. And, uh, I had my RTS one, so I was looking like the boy with all the toys. I do remember beating him on a Saturday on a downhill, but I think that was the once and only time I'd ever beat him. <laughs> <laughs> the same with with Rob Warner. I used to quite often go up against Rob Warner in dual slaloms, and mm-hmm. he's a uh, He's quite crafty, he is. He'll, he'll, he'll take you off any second he can, he will. There's actually a video on my Instagram of uh, Joel Slalom at the Malvins. And the Malvins Classic was big back then, like thousands and thousands of people. And I think around the second gate, he just piled straight into me and just took me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I like- even remember um, Obi. He was Obi would be coming over to the Malvins in the early nineties as well. I remember him riding the Malvins doing dual slalom with a Hawaiian shirt on. <laughs> Amazing! Uh, I just remember this guy from Northern Ireland, or at the time it was just from Ireland, thinking, "My God, he's come all the way over from Ireland to do the Malvins." Yeah, yeah. Little wow. I know, like years later, I'd be living in Ireland, and he'd just be down the road, and it'd still be doing events with him. <laughs> Plus. 25 years later or nearly 30 years later 
class. Like, what was the scene then? You know, was it crazy? Like, we hear all these stories, you know, in that kind of scene at that level. You know, was it crazy? Was it, was the parties crazy? Were guys racing half drunk? You know, like, what was it like? It was, there was a crazy side to it, definitely. But everyone just made out that they weren't that serious into what they were doing. But all of those top guys, they were really seriously into doing their training. They, they, they knew what they were doing, but they'd always make out they were the biggest party animals ever. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to know which ones were telling the truth and which ones were telling lies about it. You know, there was a lot of partying going on, but the, the top guys, well, you've probably seen all the videos that were released back in the days with like um, Napalm, which is uh, Sean Palmer and that lot. I mean, they mm-hmm. went over to America and they were having big parties over there. I sort of missed out on all that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Some of those guys were crazy, crazy. Aye. Well, yeah. even Sean Palmer came from the snowboard thing, didn't he? Mm. And yeah, like yeah, he was, he, he was the crazy then. Seen over with him, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, like it's interesting, you know, because like back then, I suppose those guys, those top racers, they were all sponsored back then. They were all riding for brands. Were they getting paid full time for this, or was that like a part time thing for them then? I would say they were all full time then. I was sort of class class myself as sort of semi professional back then. Because I'd gone through the whole uh, sponsored by bike shop things and paying for bits and pieces. And then it got a bit more serious. And I got uh, a sponsorship with a clothing company called Beanbag. And through this clothing company, Beanbag, they had ties with Evolution Imports, which at the time were importing Fat Chance and Ringlay and all those really amazing, cool bike bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. And then through that the clothing sponsor i actually got a riding deal with evolution imports so my first big sponsor i picked up was uh fat chance because uh because um evolution imports were importing fat chance and that's what they were sort of sort of setting up as that's the thing to that they wanted to brand so um i got a custom made fat chance shocker billy and I, at the time, I didn't realize how cool this was, but I actually went over to Vermont and stayed with Chris Chance of Fat Chance and went and had a tour around his factory of, of Fat wow. And yeah, stayed with him over there for a week and had this most amazing time. But it, at the time, I didn't really soak in what was happening around me. I really didn't. So yeah, yeah. it's pretty crazy to go and stay with someone like Chris Chance and then have a look around his factory and stuff like that when you're actually riding for Fat Chance UK as well. It was it was mad time, that was, really was. Yeah, nuts, man, nuts. And like at that time, was it something you wanted to do full time? Did you ever think about turning full professional or, you know, how did you think about that? Well, I think I think it was it was something that I could have done quite easily, but I didn't know if if I'd actually be able to make money and live from day to day out of it, because I, I don't think it was as easy as it is now. But uh, yeah, I never really took it up full time. I was only sort of semi, I always class myself as semi-professional. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a lot of dealings with magazines and bits and pieces. Of that. See, back in the day, you if you didn't get in the magazines, then it was hard to get the sponsors. And there was always guys out there getting better results than me. But as long as at the end of the day you could get your face in the magazine or something, it didn't really matter if you were in the top ten or not. As long as you could get 
a couple of front covers on the magazine and that, then that's that set you up for a good couple more years with another brand, basically. Yeah. And you but did yeah, get you did get magazine covers, like you get three or four good magazine covers there. I love that one in MBUK where it just says the big top at the bottom and bold yeah. red letters. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the one. That was my uh, the Fat Chance Shockabilly. So that was the that bike was just an amazing looking bike as well, and it just drew everyone's attention. Being lilac, it was the lilac team colours. And um, actually, when I got to build that bike up, I went up to Evolution in bromley and i had the whole run of the warehouse of evolution imports to just put this bike together and wow. it was like a kid in a sweet shop that had like ring lay everything dripping off of it um i had cooks e-cranks on it and uh i didn't have critical brakes on it and then i had the the head deep section downhill rims and stuff like that on it and i can remember mark pierce from evolution saying to me you can't put yellow components on a lilac bike. That just doesn't work. And I had green anodized parts on it as well. And then he was going, this is ridiculous. You, you can't do that. And I was like, trust me, it will work. And it looked absolutely amazing. It really did. <laughs> what, what age were you back then? Can you remember? Ah, that, that would have been, I would have been about 27, 26, 27. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, yeah it's cool. just, just amazing. And and not also did I come home with the, the one shockabilly fat chance. I had a Yo Eddie as well, which was my cross-country dual slalom bike. So I actually had two bikes that year, and that was just, they were just so amazing. And uh, when I went over to America, I took um, I only took the shockabilly over with me to America. And uh, all the pictures I took when I was in America, obviously it would have been back then with the, the old cameras and a film. And I lost my camera in, in America somewhere, so... <laughs> <sighs> I never got to see what pictures I actually took on it. It was probably just pictures of chipmunks and stuff like that anyway, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like your magazine covers, how did they come about? How did, you know, were, were the brands involved in getting you on the covers or like was it just chance or luck or like how do you go about doing something like that back uh, then? I think a, a lot of it was to do with the, whoever you were sponsored with, you know, if they're taking out big adverts in the magazines, then that gets you halfway there anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're in with the editors and all the different people within the magazines, that helps as well. Uh, setting up photo shoots. Uh, I had Steve Burr came down to uh, Tiverton, Devon, where I lived. We had like our own little quarry. And Steve Burr came down for with MBUK to take a couple of shots of me on, on this bike because the, cause the fat chance just looks so amazing. They were quite happy to come down and take some photos and, I think once you start getting to that point, it's good because when you get to the races, the photographers and that already know to take a picture of you, regardless of, like I said, your results or whatever. If you if you can make yourself known to the, these photographers and people like that back in the day, then you had a, a bigger chance of getting a picture in a magazine, really. Mm -hmm. but a lot of it would be sort of chance as well. You know, if the photographer doesn't take a very good picture, then there's not a hope in hell that picture's going in the magazine yeah so you almost have to be a bit photogenic as well on the bike and if if you weren't then yeah you probably it wouldn't really work too well for you and then there's only going to be a certain amount of photos in a magazine in a month as well so a bit of luck i think involved as well i'd say mm -hmm. mm. Like, how did that make you feel when you seen yourself in these magazines that you had grew up reading like and loving and waiting to come into the stores and stuff like how did that make you feel 
Uh, it was the, the first time I went into WH Smith's and saw myself on the front cover of MBUK that first time. I was like, wow, how amazing is that? I think my mum bought nearly all the magazines in the shop and was handing them out <laughs> to her friends and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. I think that was, it was something that I always wanted to get a front cover and I, I thought it would never really happen. Dave Hemmings is the guy back in the day. He had so many front covers all every other month dave hemmings was on the front cover or it'd be like you said rob warner mm. obviously the, the mbuk had their own team so quite often their team riders would be on the front covers so yeah it was quite it was it was a tricky one like and then you don't know like you said what the photographer's taken whether it's good enough for them to put on a front cover yeah. I know one of the covers I had with uh, Mountain Bike World, I was on a, on my Yeti, which was the following year. And the front cover was a very miserable cover with a lot of rain, very dark and dreary. And uh, a couple of the guys at Mountain Bike World said they had such a argument to try and get this this picture on the front cover because it really wasn't the front covers that they used. It was always sunny like mm-hmm. front covers and this particular one is just miserable pouring down with rain and i'm just sort of sideways on my yeti and uh yeah that one got a front cover as well so that was another amazing one wow cool man cool and yeah you so you were sponsored by yeti as well right yes yes but that only really came by because evolution imports were importing yeti okay so when so the first year when i was with fat chance with evolution when they decided that they wanted to promote the Yeti, it wasn't hard when they said to me, like, oh, I'll tell you what, we're going to give you a new Yeti next year. How do you feel about that? <laughs> You're hardly going to say no, are you? <laughs> Riding for Yeti UK. So, yeah, the first year I had a, um, a Yeti Lawwell 4, which is the four-inch travel one. And then this, the following year I had the the six with the six-inch travel, which actually that the bike that I rode the – the second year I was with Yeti is what I've actually got here as a, a bike that I'm making up at the moment. Wow. Wow. Did you ever keep any of your old bikes? No. Well, this is uh, the thing is it's real crazy. People ask me this all the time and you'd think that you would keep them, but because you were sponsored, you were, you were getting a new bike at the end of the year anyway. So what reason did you have to keep your old bike? You, yeah. you never had any reason to keep it. So they just went back and then they just got sold through the shops or wherever mm-hmm. and you just got given a new bike so you never kept it but uh i so wish i kept the shockabilly the fat yeah. chap shockabilly i really do it was they were like hen's teeth back in the day anyway but you don't even see them for sale any they, you just can't find them anywhere so it's not even like i could find one and buy it and do it up they're just not available yeah yeah like it's something i regret to not keep me old bike especially that old gt that old bmx i had because you know yeah. that thing to me now is just a piece of art um, yes yes but but back then you know and i would kick myself but then i have to you know i have to remember that back then for me to get a new bike i had to sell my old bike yeah you know, to afford yeah. to buy a new one and people don't because people ask me have you any of your old bikes from back in the day because and like I was into motorbikes as well, probably more yeah. so than mountain bike at that time. I never really got into mountain bike until way late. But, yeah. uh, like, I couldn't afford to keep any of my old bikes if I wanted a new one or something different. I had to sell that one, you know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I'd love to keep always just went back because there was no reason to keep it because what's the point in keeping your fat chance you've ridden for the year when they're going to give you a new Yeti at the end of the year? It was just 
no reason to keep it, even though I had the opportunities to. Well, you only, you had the opportunities to keep them, but you would have to buy them. Yeah. And I know the price would have probably been next to nothing. You would have bought it for next to nothing. But it was either that or you missed out on your expenses sort of thing because they would they give you the bike. But I wasn't in that sort of position where I was a pro rider. If they gave me the bike, then it meant I missed out on X amount of thousands of pounds of expenses for Mm -hmm. your entries and traveling and stuff like that. So, yeah, there was just no reason to keep it. I'd rather just take the money and then you get a new bike anyway yeah totally and you're young as well you don't think about these things yeah you don't who would have thought back in the middle of the 90s that some of those bikes because to me middle of the 90s to some people will seem like a long time ago to me it doesn't seem that long ago but you would have never thought that there was a whole retro mountain bike scene now that are paying through the nose for all that stuff yeah it took me uh nearly 20 years to get my yeti law wheel six frame to build up this uh my retro build of the bike that i rode back in the day yeah so it took me 20 years to get out of one of those frames wow oh, and that man. only happened by chance as well just by chance and a bit of luck some guy in germany wanted uh i had a uh um a taser which is the uh, uh like a four cross bike and i built that one up and some guy in germany had seen my picture on facebook i think it was and asked if i was selling it and i said no not really and he said oh what about a swap and i was like well what are you swapping it for and he said oh yeti lawwell and i was like wow so yeah just swapped did a straight swap with this guy in germany but at the time i still thought it was a bit sus mm-hmm. like is this frame going to turn up or not but anyway it did turn up and it was like a rattle can sprayed black so it looked well dodgy like it had been stolen <laughs> yeah yeah so as soon as i got it i sent it to fat creations had it custom sprayed and uh that was probably about four or five years ago now and it's just sat on a bike stand i haven't really finished it i know a lot of people give me a lot of grief get it finished but it doesn't really matter that it's not finished to me at the moment it's it could be finished but i'm just being a bit lazy with it really <laughs> yeah 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 classic man classic so you I know you fell out a mountain bike for a while there. Like, tell us what happened there. Was that back in England or was that when you came here? Like, how did that whole thing happen? How did you, you know, fall out of it? I just sort of fell out with it. With It was just the whole, I was trying to get the results. You're trying to do more training and, and it just, just burnt myself out from it, really. Mm-hmm. The last year I was, uh, I actually got a sponsor with a, a company called Fin Peaks, which were a, a Finnish company they did these downhill bikes and I, I probably only rode the bike twice I think and I ended up giving it back to the guys and saying that I'm sorry but I'm just not into this and actually I don't know if it was Dan Appleton or G Appleton actually had the uh had that bike after me the Finn Peaks bike and I think they wrecked it in two months or something like that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah then I just sort of fell out of love with it so for probably about 10 years didn't really do anything at all with mountain bikes it was all motorbikes then for me mm-hmm. yeah. I sort of, uh, obviously the points had disappeared off my license by then so i could afford insurance and stuff again so yeah i just sort of just got so fed up with obviously back then as well you didn't have the proper training schedules and stuff like you do now with like the proper planning of and i was just going out and getting miles and miles and miles in and probably making myself worse not better anyway yeah, yeah. 
So like now you've got people that know proper training and they have proper schedules to stick to. And that back then it was just a case of ride your bike more and then try and ride it a bit more and then hopefully you'll get faster. But we know now that's not really how it works. No, you have to balance up with gem stuff. Yeah, you expect to get more better results because you're doing more riding, but it actually works the other way. Yeah, I just got just burnt out from the whole thing, really. Mm. And Uh, then you came you came across here then uh for work um yeah and you yeah, into the road uh, side of things over here then yeah yeah that's this is what's sort of really quite strange how it's it, it sort of goes like this is that i moved over here and i still had uh, my road bike that i used for training actually it was an old uh vetus uh is it 979 which right, would wow. have been the sean kelly bonded aluminium thing so i always had this road bike and it was just sat in the back of the shed and one day I just sort of thought, well, I'll just take it out for a spin, you know, just just uh, get into that age where you think I maybe need to keep my fitness up and do something. So went out on this old road bike with the old shifters on the down tube. <laughs> and I really sort of it sort of lit my light again for cycling straight away. I was like, wow, how, how have I not done this for such a long time? And um, I just did more and more miles on the road bike and then went into the local bike shop and was asking about road bikes and this, that, and the other. And uh, they weren't particularly helpful, to be honest. It was almost like they looked down their nose at you, like like you don't know what you're asking about or anything. But they didn't really – they weren't particularly helpful, I didn't think. Mm-hmm. So um, I had friends back in Devon that had bike shops and stuff. There's a, a bike down in Braunton called uh, South Fork. My friend owns that bike shop. So I phoned him up and said, look, looking at getting a road bike. I said, you know, I don't want anything cheap. I want something to be fairly decent. And uh, I, I was looking at a giant as an XTC road bike, I think it was. And then a few people had sort of said, oh, my God, why are you advertising the fact you're looking at a Ford Focus of bikes? <laughs> they were saying, like, you've had Yetis <laughs> and you've had these fat chance bikes all through your life and, like, this GTs and stuff, and now you're looking at such a bland road bike. And I was like, oh, my God. So I thought, I can't even get a road bike unless it's something really up there and in your face type of thing. So and then ended up getting a, a Look 675 road bike. They're, they're quite, right. quite nice. And this was one of the last ones that were still handmade over in france as well so yeah i just took the whole road scene and just got into the racing won a couple of road races see 2016 i won the uh the club championship wow. and then after that after that my name was marked <laughs> they don't let you win anything after that once you've won something like that so and yeah, i sort of did the same with road bikes then just burnt myself out of that and then jumped straight on the whole gravel thing then Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, were you racing the road stuff here yes that, that yeah it was all right. what i did when i moved over here because the roads okay. are so quiet over here i didn't really mind riding on the roads here it was like back in devon i know people sort of think of devon as like fields and cows and sheep but uh the roads are just so much more busy than what they are here yeah like in fermanagh here now it's like the roads are so quiet. I could go out and do a 50-mile loop around Fermanagh, and if I chose some of the back roads, I'd be lucky if I saw 10 cars, really. Yeah, class. So that in itself is great for road cycling. But, yeah, after a couple of years of road cycling, that, yeah, that sort of got a bit tedious and a bit boring then as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, before you moved over here or when you were in the process of moving over here, did you look at – I know you'd kind of fallen out of love of stuff at that time, but did you look at 
the mountain bike trails that were here or if there was a scene here or anything did that even come into play no no not at all there wasn't really like we moved over here 10 years ago and i suppose the whole thing with the the trails uh places and centers and stuff like that it wasn't really it was probably coming to light about 10 years ago wasn't it something mm. like that yeah there wasn't yeah. really anything in devon at the time i know bike park wales was there but that was probably one of the first sort of big bike parks wasn't it bike park wales mm-hmm. uh now no it wasn't really wasn't on my radar at all anything about sort of mountain biking when i moved over here mm-hmm. yeah and then how did you get so you got into the gravel stuff as well yeah 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 that was that was again that was something that i was i kept looking at these uh cannondale slates i don't know if you know them at all there yeah do you know like them, an yeah. fd front suspension fork yeah yeah again got slated so bad on social media <laughs> putting up these <laughs> pictures of this cannondale <laughs> slate and people going for god's sakes like get back on a mountain bike what is wrong with you you know all those years they said you move over to ireland and then you get onto a, a, a road bike and now you're looking at gravel bikes like Look, give yourself a check like what's going on <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh every time i was out on the road bike i was looking around at all these different possibilities of the gravel bike and fermanagh's got some amazing places to ride gravel bikes so many back lanes and forestry tracks and trails and the more and more i looked the more i just thought maybe i'll, I'll just go full on and, and spend what's well, I think it was about three and a half grand for the Cannondale slate which is a lot of money for an aluminium bike but I was mm. like that's like first of all could I justify it or not and then it's like yeah I think I probably can and then luckily enough they half the price of the slate because they just weren't selling so I ended up buying it for half the price anyway so uh, wow. and that the first time I went out on the on the on the gravel bike I just thought, what the hell? Why have I not been riding off-road before? I literally just rode down like four miles down the road from where I live into some woods and was just riding around on this really sort of obscure bike with drop handlebars. But it seemed a lot more capable than some of the mountain bikes I had back in the day. Mm, yeah, wow. So it really opened my eyes to it. And then I know that the gravel bikes do get quite a slating, don't they? They really do. Like, like you either love them or, or hate them sort of mm. thing if you're riding them in the right environment on the right roads they are just absolutely brilliant yeah that slate that was a rigid wasn't it yes yeah it was just oh. like it was almost like a road bike with a with the lefty suspension fork on the front yeah how did you get on with that fork oh the fork was great and i actually thought i always thought that the fork was really really good until one day had a a random meeting with Alistair Beckett of Fossil mm-hmm. Bikes, and uh, he was asking me a few questions about gravel. I don't think there was too many people doing gravel riding in Northern Ireland at the time, and he just sort of picked my brains a bit about what he thought gravel meant to me, because it means so much to so many different people. And he said, oh, we've got a demo bike here. So I met him up at the uh, Five Forests, up at the there was a gravel event up there i'm just trying to think what the place is called now where the five forest is uh i was not sure i can't think what it's called oh well well i met met alistair up there and did the event with him and julie actually and um at the end of the event they had this uh, demo fossil in the back of the van and they said look 
give it a spin around the car park, see what you think. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. So we, so we went and got something to eat after the event. And then he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I mean, Julie have been talking it over. You can take it back with you, get go out on a proper ride on it, and give us your feedback on it. Mm. And uh, an amazing bike they make, so good. And from my sort of mountain bike background, it just clicked straight away that this this fossil was just so much better than the Cannondale slate that I had. Mm-hmm. I just absolutely loved it. And at that time, I think um i think the whole thing with covid hit so everywhere was locked down so i ended up having the bike for about four months instead of just a week (laughs) (laughs) so that was brilliant yeah i absolutely loved it so as soon as i said to alistair right as soon as you put your order in for one of these fossils i want one i said definitely get me one of those well i've actually got two now Mm-hmm. And uh, actually become a brand ambassador for Fossil as well. So that in itself was another great thing as well. Yeah. Oh, so, no, well, yeah. Alistair has been on the show a couple of times. He has switched on, like, for sure. Mm. Oh, he knows what he's doing. The bikes are absolutely brilliant. They yeah. really are. They're, they're absolutely perfect for off-road. They're, they're, like I said, they're well-capable bikes. A, a lot more so than, like I said, the early 90s mountain bikes were, really. Yeah, yeah. What went the wheel do you run in that? I run the 700 C's. Okay. I have got a set of 650 B's as well, which in mountain bike terms, what's that? 27.5s and yeah. 29s basically, isn't it? Yeah. The, the 29s or the 700 C's just run better. There's no point in messing around with the smaller wheel size on it. No. So yeah, just no. run, run those. Got some deep section hunt wheels on it. Again, all the, all the bells and whistles on it. <laughs> it looks really nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah definitely definitely so you you got into mountain biking then so who twisted your arm to get back into that game ah well that would be uh tim tim mcfay <laughs> helmet or tim <laughs> kept on and I, I bumped into him in i don't know when it was 2017 or 2016 something like that at an actual road race he was actually road racing tim was mm-hmm. again i i know you, you know tim mcfay anyway so mm-hmm. Yeah, doing doing this road race and this guy comes up to me in the car park and he says i he recognized me from back in the day and i was thinking i, I didn't live here back in the day <laughs> and he said no I, he said you were on mountain bike uk weren't you and i was like yeah yeah and he was like oh you're guy on a mountain bike and do some riding and i said no i don't do mountain biking <laughs> back then i was just a roadie so uh everyone over here when i first moved over here just knows me as a roadie but everyone back home knows me as a mountain biker. So it's sort of quite yeah. strange. So yeah, Tim just kept on and on. Oh, I got to go out on the mountain bike. Got to go out on the mountain bike. And the funny thing is I do have, I had an old Kona Stinky Deluxe in 2008. I bought that with the chance of getting back into mountain biking, but I just bought it and it just sat in the shed. I didn't ride oh. it at all. So I had that when we were here and then Tim dragged me out a couple of times on it. And then last year, he actually got me to do the uh, enduro down at Ravensdale. Mm-hmm. So that was the first mountain bike race I'd done in 23 years. Wow. So, yeah, got back back into mountain biking again. <laughs> yeah. And, like, how did that feel, that first that first race? It was, it was quite scary because it's a lot more technical now than what it used to be. Mm-hmm. But in, in the ways of being scary, it, that – Kona Stinky, I don't know if you know the bikes at all. Well, that's seven inches of travel and it's built like a tank. It'll just go through anything. <laughs> it's like a it's like a downhill bike, really. So 
So a couple of people were saying about the rock garden or certain parts of it was a rock garden or whatever. And you'd get down the bottom on the cone of stinky and you'd just think, which was the rocky bit? <laughs> it was like <laughs> seven <laughs> inches of plush travel and nothing was really that bad. But obviously with the whole enduro thing, you've got to ride that thing back up to the top to do another stage. So that was yeah. an absolute killer. So, yeah, yeah, then I decided after Tim had twisted my arm and got me to do that, that I needed to buy a new bike. So... <laughs> Yeah, full full circle. But even getting a new bike was it's quite hard to do nowadays. You know, there's so much out there. Yeah. The, yeah. Even deciding on wheel size before you've done anything else is hard enough. Aye, totally, totally. And now we're onto the mullet game now. So. Yeah. So that's what I was actually looking at buying. Uh, when I was looking at getting a new bike, I was looking at getting a mullet one, but they just look disgusting and. I like to be a bit superficial. If the bike doesn't look good, then I ain't riding it. So I don't care if it rides better. If it looks wrong, I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. No, I understand that. Because if you look at something, you think, ooh, you know, yeah, your first yeah. impression probably won't be good on it. So why would you even bother? Like, Yeah. Well, again, it's like it's like I said at the sort of beginning of the interview was like, uh, how, how do you decide where you go and what brands to go for you something just takes you in a certain direction and you you see something and you like it and you just sort of go for it but mm-hmm. i don't you, you don't know why you go for it well in the end i went for a, a cotic uh, jet mm-hmm. and um i like the idea of it being steel because the fat chance i had back in the day was steel so i like that and the cotic jet i've got is in teal color which is almost a yeti color so it almost brought both of my sponsors together <laughs> in a new era of a different bike so yeah, I've got like a 140 travel cottage jet and I absolutely love it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's just a bit more, well, a lot more capable than I am now I'm getting older. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tim made you a nice jersey to match, didn't he, to tie oh, in the yes, colours? And... yes. Oh, it's very nice, a jersey. I love it. Yeah, thank you very much for that, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, was a lot of fuss with that as well because um, I moved over here as a, um, actually a, a printer, label printer. So when they were coming to get the colours together for the jerseys and stuff, oh, my God, I was such a fuss about it. Coming up with the Pantone colours, or is it this colour? It needs to be this colour and that colour. And I think the guys are thinking, oh, my God, stop being such a drama queen. (laughs) (laughs) But it was all worth it in the end because it matches my bike perfectly. So that's great. Yeah, perfect class. Hmm. Like, uh, looking bike does at the scene back then and looking at it now because you've been involved in it now for a couple of years here yeah. and you've been racing and stuff like how healthy do you think it is has it changed much has it changed for the better like what's your overview on it oh, well i'd say it's changed for the better but i think sometimes everyone that rides a lot they they like the courses to be a lot more technical and from my point of view I don't know at my age whether I want them to be more technical because you look down stuff nowadays and you think, I'm going to kill myself going down that. Yeah. (laughs) But do you know when you start riding down it, these 29-inch wheels and the bikes are just designed so much better that they do go down this stuff good. But I think sometimes, I don't know how you get new blood into the sport with it being, some some of the courses are so technical, so technically challenging for some people. I don't know how the newbie newbies get in i don't know if it's because they just go out riding with their mates riding this sort of stuff all the time so it's okay yeah it's it's a strange one 
Yeah. You know, I know that people don't like it if it's not very technical either. They wouldn't want to, going back to the good old days, where I was, like I said to you, I'd ride down a field and you'd call that a downhill. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think people would want to be doing that. But, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, I think. Yeah. Like, some of the young boys now, though, they totally rip. They're unbelievable. Like, that, yeah, un- they're, they're so fast, aren't they? Yeah, unreal. Probably even the slowest guys in the race are so fast as well. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, I think you've just got to respect anyone for riding a mountain bike nowadays. Like, that, that the enduro the other week up at Ross Trevor, I sort of half lost my mojo halfway through the day. I was like, what are we doing? Riding down these massive great drops and stuff. And I was like, this is mad. I've got to drive home. If I fall off and break my arm, how the hell am I getting home? <laughs> Remember my wife saying to me in the morning, you remember, you've got to drive home. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, great. So that's stuck in my head the whole day. Aye. You've so, done the, you done this. Yeah. Like that first day, man, I, I had a disaster that first day. <laughs> I came off four times, I think. Four times in one stage, wasn't it? It was three times in one stage. And, <laughs> three times in one stage. Yeah. And like, that's basically because I came off quite early in the stage. Yeah. And it was a stupid freaking lack of concentration mistake, like they normally are. And they then panic I to get your speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I hit that. It was stage three, I think. And then I hit that loomy section, and you kind of <laughs> you kind of come around a ninety degree corner and straight oh, yes, into this yes. loom. Yeah, because I couldn't understand the guy at the start of the stage three. There was saying because it followed the normal part of the red trail, didn't it? Then yes, turned off. Uh huh. He said, "Oh, it." it remembered to turn off so i think some guys had gone straight on at some point there yeah i know what bit you're on about and i was riding down there thinking how can i race down something like this blind i've never done it before in my life yeah and it just seemed like oh my god i'm going to fall off any second so yeah i know what you're on about (laughs) yeah yeah so i came down that trying to catch up time and going too hard and went clean over the bars yeah and yeah, and then I think the third time I come off, I just had a, a route that was just, again, just trying to push, just, you know. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the hell am I doing? I'm coming down this like a rookie, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like that the whole day for some reason. I, I really felt yeah. like I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was really strange. And what was the um the last, I don't know if it was actually the last stage, but the one that's actually at Ross Trevor as a, a downhill bit anyway i can't think what it's called now i the was it the big one um yeah the black the black run it wasn't the pulse was it that yeah, you the thinking, pulse, or? That's it. yeah the pulse well i was up there a couple of weeks ago doing the pulse with uh brian leonard a local guy from down here and uh i was following him down and he's a lot more capable than me on a mountain bike and but I know that if I follow him down, I'll trust his speed and I'll just ride with him down. Mm-hmm. And we did the post a couple of weeks before the Enduro up there. And I thought the post was absolutely brilliant. I flew down it. It was great fun. It was smooth. Then when I did it in my run for the Enduro, I seemed to just drop off of every drop off. <laughs> I just seemed mm-hmm. to go so slow and hit every rock. And I was like, what is going on? It felt like a totally different place that I'd ridden a couple of weeks before. Yeah, I wonder did they have the downhill race between that time? Um, I think they. No, I don't think they did actually. No, I think okay. it was just the fact that I was following him down at, at his speed, which made me go a bit faster. Yeah, and it just made it easier. And then just doing it in the race at my own speed, slightly slower, 
made it a lot harder. Yeah. You know, it, it was, yes. Yeah, like it's interesting because I struggled mainly on stage three and stage four. That was the kind of loomy stages, I think. Yeah. And um, normally I thought I was quite good in that stuff. But <laughs> I, <laughs> in a race situation, your head is sort of all over the place as well. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And then I went back and watched Keelan because he, he filmed one of the, I can't remember if it was three or four, but he filmed yeah. one of his stages. And those guys are on a different level again oh, unbelievable but i was i watched it just to see his line choice yeah and basically he wasn't taking no completely <laughs> different completely different <laughs> you know where i was going he was staying well clear of <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could be telling you something there i think i like these guys are switched on man and you know yeah. you look at your time and you look at Keelan's time or some of those guys, you know, yes. whoever it may be, Glenn or Gary, Donzo or whatever, and you think, how can they be over yeah, a minute faster that, than me? That much quicker, yeah. That you much know, quicker. It's not like a little bit either. It's that much quicker. You just go, what was I doing exactly? It's like almost like you broke the timing beam at the top and then you stopped and had a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. And then you carried on down. And then... <laughs> That seems like how it seems to work for me, but I'm sure oh, yeah. with age, everyone says with age, oh, well, it, you know, you don't get slower with age. Well, yeah, you do. <laughs> oh, you do. Mentally, you definitely certainly do. do. Yeah. Everything yeah. comes. Yeah, definitely. Um, you don't, I think the whole, it's like anybody at the top of their game, may it be a tennis player, you know, a mountain biker, some of these road racers and these, yeah. you know, motorbikes, I think at that level, you the the brain mentally just channels stuff slower. Yeah. So yeah. you see stuff bigger, or it tends to look slower to you, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. You just see and it a lot earlier, or something. You know what I mean? Like a tennis player, the ball probably looks twice the size to them to it would to me. You know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and the court probably looks twice as big as it does yeah. to me. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm sure these mountain bikers, that's the way they see it too, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, going back to the, the difference in, it's it's day and night from the early days to now, like you said. The difference then was it was sponsorship and goes through shops and stuff. And now it's all brand ambassadors and social media now, isn't it? Yeah. So that in itself has changed quite a bit, definitely. Yeah, big time, big time. And I think now you have to be so much an ambassador for the brand so if the brand doesn't want you to be out partying and drinking and doing these taking these foolish photos of you know you're you <laughs> yeah. enjoying yeah, yourself yeah, and you don't do it yeah you know you don't do it or they just don't sponsor you i, I know a lot of the i suppose guys getting into it now as well i don't know if they realize sometimes it can be quite easy to become brand ambassadors for but certain certainly for some different companies Mm -hmm. just searching on the internet just put in mountain bike brand ambassadors and see what comes up it's quite amazing you know what stuff would just be out there yeah yeah totally and you know i think you have to be i know speaking to the guys in the industries and stuff through the podcast and one thing or another you know when they're looking yeah. at people to become ambassadors or to sponsor or whatever they do you know okay maybe right maybe wrong i don't know but they do look at their social accounts oh yes yeah you know they see how many followers they have. They see how often they're posting. They see what they're posting. 
you know, it is part of the game now, whether you like it or not, unfortunately. And um, yeah, 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 it's crazy, man. I just don't know where it's going to go from here because there will be something else. Like there will be something I, I new at some stage. Be, it'd be interesting to know what it is because I think it, I've, like I said, I've, I've gone through the whole thing with sponsorships and stuff like that, and now the whole brand ambassador thing. And even now with the brand ambassador thing, I think it's sort of dying up a bit because yeah, uh, how many pictures can you post of, a, of an item and people be interested in it? Yeah, very much so. I don't think you can anymore. Really. No, I think there will be something different, but what it will be, I'm not really sure. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is when you look at other industries that work off apps or work online and people physically pay yeah. not to get adverts that kind of yeah. tells you something yeah yeah you've probably you know? seen yourself and most people have probably seen that you know instagram now it doesn't matter how many follows you've got if you if you've only got like what say five percent of your followers seeing your post and what's the point in having all these followers and instagram want you to pay to promote your posts Mm -hmm. So even Instagram now aren't really working the way that they used to. No, no, no. Yeah, very so true. So it's, it's all changed quite a lot. It's it's probably easier to get stuff now, I think, than probably what it was with sponsorship back in the day was probably a bit harder. Yeah. Because you had to physically write a letter to the company. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, hopefully the, the postman gives it to the person you've sent it to and uh, – yeah, and then you've got to have fairly decent grammar in that because maybe you wouldn't even get a sponsorship because the letter you've just written, everything's spelt wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, totally, totally, man. It's crazy, crazy the way things have gone. And, mm. you know, but it's, I just wonder in the mountain bike game if it's like, and I'm sure it is, to be honest, like the music game or whatever, that you have these guys at the top and it's not very, very many of them in the scheme no. of things that make all the money yeah and then th that kind of income thing just drops off a cliff and you're working part-time or you're possibly working full-time to fund your yeah your biking yeah, I or think, whatever I think that's that's probably the case and i think that's probably always been the case as well yeah yeah Certainly in mountain biking you've always had like a handful of people that are making a decent living out of it. And then, like you said, you find a lot of people will be struggling just to, to be there. And then, like you said, a lot of people would be full-time employed, but still be, uh, well, semi-pro. Mm -hmm. They'd be paying for most of their stuff, you know, getting getting help here and there, but, you know, you know, still costing them a lot of money to go to the events and do this and do that. And Yeah, there's only so much money that can go around with things like that, isn't there? Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, I know a lot of people have kicked back about it because, you know, you look at the price of these bikes and stuff nowadays. Yeah. And people are thinking, well, how can these companies not be making an absolute fortune? You know, yeah. but, you know, I, yeah, well, I can't answer that. I said when I was looking at buying a, a new mountain bike and, and realistically, you want to be spending at least, a, well, I'd say a minimum of three grand and mm -hmm. that that is a proper minimum as well, really. You need to be looking more about the four to five grand. Yeah. Which is yeah. a lot of money for something that's just a hobby of the weekends and stuff. Well, that's it. That's it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, 
you know, I always love seeing those old Instagram posts. You see them up every now and then. You know, you'll see like a real crappy kind of car that you would buy for like three or four hundred pound, and then you see this bike <laughs> sitting on top of it, and that's about ten grand. <laughs> yes, yes. So now, obviously, the whole scene I think is uh, the next thing will be everything will be e-bikes. I think. I like. Have you ventured into that at all, or? Um, I I have had a couple of goes on e-bikes, and I think that will be my next bike. Mm-hmm. The the problem I have is being I'm 52 this year, I get my analog bike, if you like to call it. I go into the woods and I meet up with a couple of guys in the woods across the road from where I live here. Uh, three of the guys have e-bikes oh, and they're dude. all in their early 20s. Oh, wow. And then they say, oh, that's all right. We've got some mates coming later and they're, they're coming on their bikes. Another three turn up again in their sort of early 20s, mid 20s. And they will they have a free out of e-bikes. There I was on my analog bike nearly 50 blimmin two trying to keep up with six guys young guys on e-bikes my god they nearly killed me every monday night <laughs> oh i am sure like jake or so that would be that's uh, that's crazy and like these are young fit guys like yeah young fit guys what makes me laugh is they're almost doing the social media when they're riding up the hill they'll be on the phone one-handed uh, messaging someone talking away to me and i said look guys there's no point in talking to me i i can't breathe i <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep up with them i just cannot breathe i said i can't hold a conversation with them and they're just say i sat on their phones just riding up the hill i'm sure it's keeping me fit but it's either keeping me fit or sending me to an early grave one of the two yeah yeah but you know whether you love e-bikes or not like i certainly think there's a place for them for sure i you know i mean i i don't think you can really argue against that but in saying that i was speaking to somebody who's well in the industry yeah um works for a brand and he was saying, I'm not going to mention any names, but he was saying for every two enduro bikes they sell, yeah, they sell 10 e-bikes. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I've seen it here in our local woods. Uh, on Monday we were out and there was two of us on normal bikes. The other, well, how many was out? So five of the other guys were on e-bikes and two of us on normal bikes. Yeah. So you can see that the switch is already there. It's already happening. And it's only going to make people like me get an e-bike to keep up with these guys going up the hills as well. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're in a little clique and you've been riding with the same guys and you just meet up and you go out all the time. And then all it takes is one guy to get an e-bike. And then it's only a matter of time. Everybody's going to I was actually uh, searching to get a new bike. I'd, I'd looked a couple of e-bikes, but I'd read a couple of articles about e-bikes and they basically sort of said that if you didn't have, if your friends don't have e-bikes, then don't buy one because you yeah. just ruin it for everyone. Aye. And I just thought, well, I, I wasn't, it's not like I go out riding with anyone. I generally go out by myself. So I thought well, it doesn't really matter about getting an e-bike then because I'm not going to race an e-bike. I'm only going to race a normal bike. Mm-hmm. So that sort of just put it out on my mind straight away and like i said the first time i go across the roads into my local woods here <laughs> meet up with six guys on e-bikes yeah i was wow. like i've made a big mistake here haven't i <laughs> yeah like i can see you know because i'd only re- i'd only rode ross trevor once before the enduro yeah you know so i could see a, a, a purpose there if you had an e-bike even though glenn threw in those two lumi you know freaking <laughs> trails that kill everybody <laughs> yeah. so it wouldn't have mattered but uh you know if you had an e-bike you could do a lot more of the down stuff you know so instead of maybe only you know yes sampling like, maybe three yeah. or four of them you could do them 
twice or three times over or something, you know? You can see the advantage, just like I said, across the road from where I am, it's quite a steepish hill. The guys have made, there's quite a lot of, they're all illegal tracks, but there's quite a lot in there and there's more and more popping up. Mm-hmm. Like It's the e-boys that are going in there making them all. But like, um, if we go out for an evening ride, see there, after a couple of hours, I'm absolutely toast. I'm done. And they're just, they'll carry on going. I'm like, yeah. right. I'm limping home now. <laughs> I can't, oh, can't feel my arms or legs anymore, and they just go for another few more runs. So yeah, you can see the the appeal of it definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the things are getting so capable. Like the bikes are the e bikes now are just unreal. Like yeah, oh, it's Crazy. night and day. If you if you put my first mountain bike up against a modern day e bike, totally different sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a yeah. good way to that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, like, do you follow the EWS or the UCI or any of those professional leagues now? Do you still watch? Yeah, that yeah, stuff? Like, yeah, yeah. I still sort of follow all of that. It's it's hard not to follow. It. I think when you when you're into a certain sport, it's hard to sort of totally get out of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always like to follow all of that. Yeah. Yeah, cool, man, cool. Like, as far as the future goes, are you are you going down to Ravensdale? Are you racing that? Uh, I'm not sure at the moment because it's going to be a Saturday and Sunday thing and it? it's going to be the practice yeah. on Saturday and then the race on Sunday. Well, I feel if I just go down for the Sunday, I'm already on my back foot and it's almost well, that like, might give somebody like me an opportunity. So that's okay. <laughs> just thinking like, would you want to, if do you want to be on your back foot? So really you, you'd want to go down on the Saturday. I know, uh, Helmet or Tim's twisting my arm. He wants me to be down there showing off my new jersey and that, doesn't he? So uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going right straight away. He's like, "Have you entered yet?" And I was like, "No, I haven't entered yet." And he's like, "Oh, come on, you'll enter." And I was like, oh, "I'm not sure at the moment." I, the trouble is, I know if I don't enter, I will kick myself. As mm-hmm. soon as Sunday night comes around and I see all the stuff on social media, all the pictures and stuff, and I'll be like, "Why did I not go?" Yeah. Yeah. I'm only going to be home cutting the grass or something. So, <laughs> aye, calm down, man. Calm down, hang out, be good. Yeah, I think it will be good. I, I did Ravensdale last year. That was, like I said, that was my first race back after 23 years. And if mm-hmm. I manage to get through that after 23 years, I'll probably be all right this year. I think you'd be grand, aye, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> have you, um, have you any trips planned for the future elsewhere, abroad, anything like that? Do you do anything like that? No, not really. The only other thing that's coming up that I like to do is the uh, the Lake Lander Gravel Grinder up around here, which they have the, mm. the big dog and the little dog gravel event. That's in October. Wow, is that as late as that, is it? Yeah, yeah. They always yeah. like to do it when, when we're well out of summer. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose that makes sense, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's in October. That's the only thing I've really got planned. I haven't really got anything else planned at all. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, man, cool. I think if you, if you plan too much, then I'd, I'm too worried that I might go for the certain circles again and then just burn myself out and then just the whole mountain biking off again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Then that goes back to road biking and then I'll be back to gravel biking and then back to mountain biking again in another, what, 30 years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just stick with the mountain bike. We need you in the scene, man. We need you in the scene. <laughs> Yeah, I think, sure. I'm, I think I'll be here for a while now anyway. Tim will not let you go anywhere. You're you're stuck now. I'm That's, stuck, yeah, I'm stuck. Aye. You've signed your life away there. Yeah, well, so. he's already, he's got what he wanted, hasn't he? He's, he's got me into a, my first race again. 
and uh, he's got me to buy a new bike. So yeah, he's he's done what he set out to do. <laughs> classic man classic well listen i'll not take up any more of your time daz it's been a pleasure chatting to you here if anybody wants to reach out and follow you in socials or anything like that where can they best get you uh probably just instagram really i have got like a youtube channel but i sort of i thought it was going to be a brilliant thing but i just couldn't be asked with all the uh, editing and stuff so i put out a couple of videos and then just sort of gave up with that so probably don't bother with that it's just uh, instagram really is the main one Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah. And we'll put links in the show notes and all for people that want to give you a shout or whatever. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much, Gareth. It's been no, good. No bother, but it's been brilliant catching up with you. And I'm going to tap your brains. If you're down at Ravensdale, I'll, I'll have a coffee with you and tap your brains about a few other things from your oh, past yeah, definitely. there. Definitely. Classic, man. Always a pleasure, dude. Thanks very much. Right, cheers. Thank you very much. That's a wrap for episode 217, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. And Daz, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, mate. It was great to chat to you. Sorry I didn't run into it, Raven's Day there, but the old COVID unfortunately has finally got me. So that's where I was stuck in my bed, just gloating about you guys racing that amazing looking track. So well done, bro. And uh, it's been brilliant to get you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your stories. I really, really did enjoy it. Now, guys, if you want to know more about Daz or what we chat about, just go to the show notes on the podcast website. It's mtb-tribe.com. You'll find out more there. Links to Darren's socials and links to his sponsors and stuff. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, the best way to show support is simply by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on whatever podcast platform you listen to your show on. It helps boost the old algorithms and spreads the good word about the show to more people. If you want to know a little bit more about the podcast, you can visit our website at mtb-tribe.com where you can find the complete back catalogue of episodes there. Listen and download every show from there for free. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. If you want to find out a little bit more, you can get involved on social media. We're at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to get in contact with me personally, the best way is via email. You will find me at info at mtb-tribe.com. Now, don't forget our sponsor for the podcast. It's Alta. It's our brand new MTB brand, getting you up the mountain. Cozier, warmer, cleaner, drier hopefully keeping the car dry and your feet warm and everything else when you're getting changed we are a brand new brand we're very very young we're very new we don't have a massive amount of products yet but we're getting there we've got some good designs coming some stuff that is really different in the market so we're taking our time we're getting the stuff designed properly we're getting it designed sustainably it's all circle cycled everything else so lots coming on there in the future so go check us out you can find us at www.ridealta.com or get us on instagram at ridealta thanks for doing that guys i do appreciate your support that's all i have for you this week folks so until next time as always you know the score get the bikes out at the trails Stay MTV stoked.